Hi, everyone, and welcome to Strive's How You Lead Matters podcast, where we discuss everything leadership. From tapping into your motivation to fueling your program with grit, we are here to support you with the charge to develop leaders. My name is Caroline Lettner, and I'm the marketing manager here at Strive. On today's episode, I'm sitting down with Jeremy Edwards, co-founder of Strive. Alongside other lifelong teachers and coaches, Kevin Morgan and Kevin Small, Jeremy Edwards founded our original program, Sports Challenge Leadership Academy, to address the substantial leadership crisis they observed. Jeremy is a Haverford College alumni with his master's in education and leadership from Stanford University. All right, well, we are here with Jeremy Edwards, the founder of Sports Challenge Leadership Academy, which is now Strive How You Lead Matters. And I'm so excited to sit down and talk with you about the evolution of Strive, where we are today and where we started. So um, just grateful to have you on today, Jeremy. Thank you so much, Caroline. I'm happy to be here. No problem. So to start, one of the things that I have considered as I am a new-ish member to the Strive team is about the leadership crisis that you identified or observed that was then the catalyst for developing Sports Challenge Leadership Academy. So can you tell us more about what you were seeing in the classroom and athletic settings? Sure. So um, there were three of us who had been coaching together at both the youth level and at the collegiate level and um, we spent a good chunk of time complaining about the lack of leadership development that we were seeing from some extraordinary kids and we didn't understand per se why they were stepping up and so um, fortunately after um, some complaining we said let's do something about it and um, the you know in addition to what we, we weren't seeing the, the courageous type of leadership um, that we were looking for. We also were um, intrigued slash um, motivated to change what we, the, what was a dearth of um, cross-cultural communication skills for a, a lack of a better term. So we were seeing very bright um, and gifted athletes who, um, whether they be 14 or 22, uh, were struggling to connect with kids who are really different from themselves. Mm -hmm. And so both that tangentially related component and key component to leadership development, and then overall leadership development, um, that we weren't seeing in the ways that we wanted, um, that really were, those were the drives for um, pushing forward to create um, a summer program for athletes from all backgrounds. That's incredible. I think it's, it's powerful to hear you defining leadership as things like being able to communicate cross-culturally, being able to communicate with people who have different backgrounds. You talked about stepping up and having that be a leadership trait. And something that I love about Strive is that our definition of leadership or more specifically character-driven leadership is drastically different from, I think, the leadership myths that a lot of us have been faced. So when you were starting out, how did you describe to people that when we say leadership, we are talking about communication or empathy, not necessarily being loud and yelling at a lot of people? Yes, I think that, um, you know, we're all, 
raised you know, I think American culture in general uh, highlights and promotes certain aspects and a certain type of leader, um, a prototype that can be effective in certain situations. Um, however, it's a very limiting um, definition or uh, model. And so let's just look at, at the most base level extroverted people versus introverted people. Mm -hmm. If, um, you know, if we believe that someone has a tendency to be, get more energy as an extrovert and through interactions with other people and, um, but are those the only people that can be effective leaders? And that's certainly not the case. And there's so many different ways to effectively lead. And so that was one of the first things that we really wanted to establish. And we still, if you look at any training that Strive does, my guess is very early on, um, whether that be a camp counselor, a collegiate coach, uh, or a senior in high school, the idea that there are so many different ways to lead and there's not one formula, and um, the, it's really a Venn diagram of looking at the circumstance in terms of what leadership traits are needed and the personal strengths of the individual who's leading. And that intersection really is what um, should push somebody forward to be effective. Yeah, 100%. I think it's interesting to hear you describe like the different types of leadership and pathways. And I was looking briefly kind of at your background and I loved seeing that you majored in anthropology at Haverford. And so seeing that, do you feel that like that background plays into your beliefs around leadership and understanding the different cultures and the different personality traits that are big factors in leadership? Uh, it's funny you ask that because I'm actually um, in the midst of a reunion for um, it's a Haverford College reunion from all of my roommates. All of us turned 50 last year, but we did not, um, COVID obviously put off the, the celebration. So we're doing it now. And there's three other anthropology majors um, in uh, this group. And we were discussing last night how anthropology um, fed into our various careers. And for me, it's been instrumental in certainly in ways that I never could have imagined. Yeah. Um, I think that I was trained um, as an anthropologist to be able to read and evaluate uh, dy group dynamics. That's a big part of what um, is involved uh, in doing the ethnographic work that, that we did. And um, it is such an essential leadership trait, um, as well as looking at the power dynamics and hierarchy within a specific group. So, those particular experiences and learning um, ab about uh, developing a real depth of understanding of different cultures and communities and how um, leadership, for example, might look radically different um, in Southeast Asia as a general profile than it might look in Central Europe, um, much less even within the United States. You know, um, are there leadership norms that might look different uh, in uh, the deep south than might look in New Hampshire and Maine and Oregon and California. Um, you know, there's this fine line between generalizations and um, stereotypes versus norms. And I think that there are some norms that are different um, within our own country. So I feel really fortunate that actually that was my major and it's uh, surprisingly led to a lot of um, 
insights that I developed without even realizing it because of it. I love that. I think I was a psychology major in college, psychology and philosophy double major. And a lot of times people didn't quite understand where that could take you or where that could go. And, and I enjoyed having those majors for exactly that reason, because I felt like it could be applied to a lot of different areas. And, and that is the strength that I see in majors like anthropology, psychology, et cetera, like any of those humanities. Um, and you touched on the idea of generalizations and something additionally that I love about Strive is the fact that we are able to walk into a college athletic program that is very structured, very formal, like Haverford or Franklin and Marshall, whomever, um, and do the leadership training there that we're also doing at a community partnership like Tyler's Camp or like the teen warehouse that we're working very closely with. So what do you feel allows Strive's programming to be applicable in all of those settings without being overly general? Um, I think that there are, because there, from my perspective, there's insufficient and an inadequate amount of leadership development um, that's done, mm -hmm. Whenever we are in a setting, it's um, what we are usually presenting resonates with people because they see, ah, yes, yes, that that makes a lot of sense. So if we are, so let's, if I was to, to kind of uh, oversimplify the, the keys to effective leadership, um, you need to surround yourself with the right people who believe deeply in your vision. Um, and you know you you have your why this vision you've got the right people and then your next job is to develop and build a, the culture that will allow for people to thrive and um in in our mind i think that's a mentoring culture um and um the the other parts of the leadership job are to build trust. And we believe that if you're building trust, um, then inherently you're doing certain other things that are absolutely essential to effective leadership, such as empowering people, people usually if um, such as providing truthful and specific appreciation for what people are contributing um, and such as being honest and demonstrating having the integrity and um, you know, being a courageous ethical decision maker as a leader. Um, so if you're doing those things, then you're building trust. So the trust building, and really finally, I'd say modeling servant leadership. So the idea that the leader is not on the pedestal, um, you know, historically, we've always talked about flipping the, the pyramid, going back to that concept of a social hierarchy, where in some communities and in some leadership models, you have this person on a pedestal um, screaming down at the masses, telling folks what to do. And that is um, effective in one-tenth of one percent of scenarios from my perspective. That's uh, there's a fire in the building, then you want someone giving, telling, yelling, telling everybody exactly what they have to do at that moment. <laughs> But beyond that, um, the idea of empowering others and trusting others and then building the trust back towards you is what is going to effectively um, allow people to thrive. 
Um, and I think that those base concepts of building culture, empowering others, building trust, it, it doesn't matter the context and it, it's applicable to all different types of organizations, for-profit, non-profit, youth serving, uh, sports focused, it's, um, it's all the same. And I think for a lot of, whether it's the business world or um, the sports world, we get caught up in the numbers. And um, our goals for the year are about um, this record, um, this playoff picture, um, and those are, or this quarterly profit margin. And those are admirable goals and maybe uh, appropriate parts of a focus, but um, it's easy to lose sight that in order to accomplish any of the other goals, the energy needs to first be put in building the, the right culture and building the culture that does allow everybody to thrive. And I think so much of the time we're not spending sufficient energy um, as leaders, culture building. Absolutely. I think culture is so key. And it's one of those words that I think gets tossed around a lot without people fully understanding what it means and not only what culture means, but what it means to build it. it it's not simple to build culture. I know that, um, when I was playing soccer at Franklin and Marshall College, we got a new coach my senior year. Um, and I had an understanding going into that, that that year was going to be a building year. And so it's difficult to have that be your senior year, but it, it's surprising when so many people were like, well, why isn't it successful right off of the bat? Or why are we still struggling a bit? Because we didn't have the record that most of us wanted, but it's, it's interesting to realize, like, how could you expect someone to come in and build a culture within the first season, you know, and we're a fall season. So she's coming in in the summer and trying to build stuff up immediately. Um, and it's, it's impactful to, to hear you comment on what it means to be a good leader and what it means to, to flip that hierarchy. And I think just, just speaking anecdotally here, coach Bell has joined us recently and that is what she's all about as well. And so it's so exciting to see that that belief and that culture has been so strong in Strive through all of the years and through all of the different leaders that we have had. Um, we definitely feel that here. So I appreciate that you set that, set that standard that is now falling through to all of us. <laughs> um, yeah, I think, and I, I think the biggest challenge that we, we face a bigger challenge today than previously around that specific culture building um, vantage point because um, society expects quick results. Our patience for the long term is different than I think it, uh, it's, it's at a, we are a less patient society than we've ever been. So results oriented, scoreboard oriented, that's part of the kind of American competitive spirit and that can be a real positive. And um, at the same time with shortened attention spans and everybody expecting results right away, um, there it's, if you are a collegiate coach or if you are um, running a nonprofit, there you feel pressure for results to come very quickly. And um, the hard part is to convince whether it's a funder or an athletic director or your players 
that this is a long-term process and, you know, the marathon versus sprint um, analogy. I, I think um, sometimes it's hard to convince people that um, to be patient in that, in that regard, but to build uh, effective culture, it, it takes time. It does nothing that there's not much that can replace that. Yeah. To, so for the coaches that are listening on here and maybe identifying strongly with with the idea that it takes a while to build culture and it is not easy, what advice would you give to coaches that maybe trying to build culture and need to get that buy-in from their players or whomever they're working with um, to trust the process of it? How, how would you advise they do that? Um, well, I think that they need to be involved mm-hmm. in the process. Um, I think I'm not uh, so Kevin Small was one of those three people. Kevin Morgan, Kevin Small, and I were the three folks that that I mentioned at the start that that created um, the sports challenge right at the beginning. And Kevin Small uh, has been coaching at Ursinus College and assistant athletic director there for many years now. But his basketball program, I really liked the model that he did. He, he used um, bricks. Bricks are a big uh, metaphor for the a lot of different things that they do um, within that program but what um, there is a, an image of their pyramid and they have a series of foundational bricks which are the core values of their program and uh, in terms of culture building uh, there's the big circle of the institution. So your college has a mission and a point of focus and some values. So within that big circle, you need to make sure that your values are in, aligned with that. So if you are going to be creating team values that seem to be counter to really what the entire school's mission and ethos is, maybe it's a bad fit, um, uh, to be blunt. Um, I think that, um, so at a sinus, back to Kevin, he, there are these, you know, five, four or five different fun, fundamental pieces that are kind of the non-negotiable values that, that um, anchor everything they do. Um, and then there are every year, the team kind of works together to, to create some of the other building blocks that are gonna be the additional values that they believe are essential to their success mm-hmm. and are gonna be guiding principles and connect to the expectations for how, um, for what they do and how they carry themselves. And so um, if integrity is one of their core values, um, maybe they believe that um, um, direct communication is going to be a, a key building block for that year because they've had some difficulty with direct versus indirect communication and it's led to some some challenges within the team dynamic. So the idea of for a a high school or a college coach to involve the players in the process of creating um, these values and a sense of direction and setting the team goals. Um, I think that's essential. So it, to say that it's my team versus is it their team or is it our team? And those semantics matter. And if I'm giving all the directives, it's just, you're not gonna have the same buy-in or commitment level, I think inherently in, in what's gonna happen. 
Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, that goes, that goes to so many things. And we talk about, I was a teacher prior to my time with Strive. Um, and so setting the norms for your classroom, it's the same thing. You know, the first day of school, you're setting, you know, the rules or the expectations that you're going to end at, but you have the, you guide the class in coming up with those. And so that way, when students may have a difficulty following one of the norms or they're challenging a bit, you can go back to the fact that like, hey, we we discussed this as a group. And so if we're breaking it, let's go back to the drawing board and let's figure out why we're breaking these norms. And I think it can be a really fluid process versus something super set in stone. I really like the image of the bricks as well, because to me, that depicts Strive's idea of the yes and phrase. Um, we are not taking away foundational beliefs of our program. We are not ignoring them. We are just adding on more. We are yes anding that. And I think that's a beautiful way to honor your past and, and the structure of it while still recognizing the nuance that new players and new years can bring in. So that's really powerful. I like picturing it that way. I'm a very visual person. So that. That helps for me. Um, I can relate. Yeah, <laughs> I know. So I was thinking as well, I, I've had the pleasure of watching some of your videos through YouTube and seeing some of the times that you had at Sports Challenge. Um, and one thing that, again, remains clear today that was clear in the past was your, your focus on joy and the role that joy plays in leadership and in success in general. Um, can you tell me more about that, whether it's just a personal thing for you or how did you include that in leadership? Um, yeah, I, I think um, from the beginning, going back to the idea of surround yourself with the right people. Mm -hmm. So, um, and I attribute this to, um, who I, I consider to be our true founder, Kevin Morgan. And he, you know, he really said, let's, you know, these are the people we want to, to launch this initiative. Mm -hmm. And so that first summer going all the way back to, I guess, 1997, um, you know, searching out and finding these 35 people and um, there's certain qualities. And this has affected my hiring practices my entire life, be, uh, what Kevin did and the way he approached hiring, um, really looking at a you know, handful of intangibles. And so looking at things like um, uh, commitment to others. So the idea that you're a true team player, um, obviously integrity, a work ethic, um, and positive enthusiasm. So we really, and, and that was Kevin's idea of who we want in the room. And then from that, you know, I can't, I, there's a lot of things that evolved through Sports Challenge and Strive that weren't planned. <laughs> they weren't <Yeah>. like, <laughs> we're going to build this precise culture. We didn't have an understanding in 1996 and seven of, well, we need to build culture. Like, this is even learning how, like that we needed to build culture. We didn't know exactly that this is the formula for doing it. It, it evolved, but I, and I, you know, I'm a huge fan of Simon Sinek who talks about so much about starting with the why and our purpose was clear, but I've also read, you know, there's a lot of other leadership experts who will almost counter that and say, 
you know, you can almost forget the why and start with the people and start with the people and this right group of people, as long as they're generally right-minded, um, similar-minded um, philosophically can create um, extraordinary things in all different um, venues. In this case, the positive and enthusiastic uh, model was just born out of how many people were, were brought on board who, who had that persona. Yeah. And so, and it's what, um, and we ex when we saw the kids' reaction to it from day one, um, you know, these again, 35, 40, incredibly positive, high energy people who were gonna bring it every day, all day, um, it was contagious. And then um, this contagious positive energy where we could balance hard work with fun um, started as, as positive psychology in the 90s and, and uh, 2000 started to become um, a more established field. It started to become clear, clear that the research was supporting that uh, communities that had this part of their um, culture were going to be more effective um, in the long run which seemed counter or we're wasting time by playing this game for 15 minutes as a break between two sets of workouts. Well, no, it's not, you didn't, it's not um, a zero sum game that yeah. um, there's all these advantages to that. And I think um, finally a lot of work by Daniel Goleman, Goleman, G-O-L-E-M-A-N, who's written a boatload of really powerful books um, and um social intelligence being one of them. But for me, Primal Leadership is a book that when I read that, it was like so many light bulbs went off. And a lot of what he talks about in there concerns energy transference and uh, research that started to really become established, the degree to which we are transferring energy um, from one person to another, from one person to a group, from small group to large group, et cetera, et cetera. And so, then we really started to not just model it, but preach it. And it became a core component to all of our trainings where um, we were explaining why this amount of positivity and this component of joy would benefit individuals and the organization as a whole. And, um, and so then the process of teaching different organizations how to do that, how to incorporate it, especially if for the leaders, it didn't come naturally. Um, meaning that they looked at their role as, you know, I'm going to do A, B, and C today in order to accomplish goal number one. Mm -hmm. And I don't really see any room for this silly stuff or, um, or for some, it seemed um, frivolous type of positivity. And, um, and so it's trying to help people understand what we mean by positivity and joy uh, as well as understand that um, that this will get you where you want to go um, on the scoreboard, even if it seems a little bit counterintuitive. Yeah, one hundred percent. I think like I definitely grew up in the generation of like joy, and those sorts of games were exclusively used as rewards. So it was time fillers when 
we didn't have anything else to do or we had a big game coming up. And so we wanted to lay off a little bit. And so we could play those games. And now more than ever, I'm seeing that switch to exactly what you're saying of like, that joy is part of the process. That joy is crucial to the process. And we see it when we do workshops all the time where students have those aha moments, not when we're standing and delivering the message, but when we're playing the games. And and so frequently students are expected to just receive what is being delivered to them, but there's so much more power in them understanding something in the middle of a game. If we're talking about brush it off, it's easy to stand there and deliver what it means to have a mistake ritual and deliver what it means. But if you are playing a game and a student makes a mistake and pausing and being like, we're gonna do it now and, and how does it feel? that moment is so much more powerful than in the classroom. And, and obviously a balance is always needed. Um, can't just be playing games, although I would love to, but, but a balance is definitely needed. And so it's exciting to see the world shifting towards that and people understanding that. Um, right, and, and, it's, and you know this well as a teacher, um, but it's also helping the, the world, so to speak, that sounds dramatic, but the world better understand what we as educators know, which is that it's not, there's no reason to compartmentalize fun time, work time, serious time, play time, that learning can be fun. Yeah. And so the, it is really looking from a different paradigm to say, well, how can I make this, this hard work more fun and interactive and in what ways can I not only empower the kids I'm coaching or teaching or the training we're doing but um, in addition I mean the um, there's a lot of again the one of the exciting parts for education in, in our field working with youth of all ages um, is the neuroscience so what we now know about the power and role of laughter and smiling and fun the degree to which not only does it bond people, which is somewhat intuitive, uh, but that there are certain triggers in the brain that are going to be more likely to absorb uh, information. Um, now, we can obviously, it's not frivolous fun, it's not you can go overboard and it can be chaos, like that's not what we're talking about, but it is integrating and, um, you know, it, and it takes work. It takes work for a coach to figure out how to um, how to do this well and to walk that line of building fun and joy into your serious practice. And it's not just a break all the time. It's actually part of the daily routine. Yeah, 100%. I think this connects to me for like intrinsic and extrinsic rewards. And when you talk about that and the role that it's played in all different sorts of spaces, and I feel like five or 10 years ago, we were talking about the fact that extrinsic rewards, your stickers, your candy, et cetera, was, was damaging intrinsic reward. And now we're starting to understand that it, it can be damaging only when there is already a lot of intrinsic value in a situation. And then you supplement with extrinsic, that can be an issue. But when you're asking students to do a task that may not have much natural intrinsic value, may not just be like naturally joyful for them, providing fun, providing joy in that moment can make that thing, whatever you have been trying so hard to get your students to do, that can provide that intrinsic value that you've been looking so hard for. And so like, I think we forget 
joy and fun as a reward, as a value, um, and how it can how it can change everything. Um, mm-hmm. I, I am agree. because I am a sports person. I have always been a competitive person, so. For me in the classroom, everything was a competition, healthfully so. Um, but like things like that can turn the most boring lesson into something fun and exciting for students that they want to engage in. Um, so it's, it's beautiful to understand that that is how we are going now and where. Yes. And, and I think that that is um, at the school level. Um, elementary all the way up to high school, I think that there's um, been a little bit of a de-emphasis on competition, uh, almost to a fault. So, um, I think that there are many ways in which, you know, you can run a third grade classroom and incorporate competitive things that will really inspire and motivate certain profiles of kids. So there's a part of me that wants to push, um, schools to make sure that they've not really gone too far on the uh, anti-competitive side of school culture and school and, and teaching methods, because I agree with you. And, um, and for not for all kids, some kids don't like competition at all, but the balancing act of for those that love it, they're gonna thrive in a setting that, that allows for that. And then I also find it to be essential for, um, for you know, especially um, the level of sports teams when you get to end of high school and college where not every player is getting playing time in, in competition time. And so when you're talking about team sports and blank number of people really didn't get into a, a match or a, or a game, um, the ability to set up competitions and practices where those people can still thrive and make a name for themselves within the program um, I'm a big, not only a visual person, but I'm a big fan of posting things. So if here are certain competitions that were ongoing competitions we're having through our practices, and then we're posting the results, and there are certain places where players who aren't on the field or court are crushing it in these practices, and their name is up there, and they feel a sense of validation that I still matter, I'm still contributing, I'm still, I'm motivated because I'm a competitive person motivated by competition, but I still have somebody ahead of me in my spot, in my role, that I'm not, I'm not yet there, and so how do I keep those, those kids really engaged consistently? Yeah, and it can also be like that competition with yourself as well, that like, for a competitive person or just someone that wants to better themselves, you know, by, by posting your last score and then trying to be whatever it was, you know, for myself, I was, I was a keeper. So I wasn't necessarily comparing my fitness levels to the field players, but I was looking at it and I was looking at, all right, what did I do last year? And how am I going to make sure that this year is better? And you can do that with students. You can do that with so many people. And I agree with you. It is about knowing your students. And so if you have students that aren't set for competition or aren't into that, you know, there are different roles that we can play. I I had students be the referees for some games that, that maybe it wasn't something that they wanted to compete in, but they still wanted to be engaged and, and I mean, for myself, when I think back to athletics and competition, that's what taught me everything. You know, obviously I learned the basics in school, but I learned how to lose in a professional setting because I learned how to lose in sports. Um, 
sports was way more of teaching me how to lose than it was teaching me how to win at times, you know, and how to win gracefully, of course, but, but there were plenty of days where there were ties and losses and I knew how to come out of that. I was joking with a player that I was interacting with where she was having frustrations with a coach. And when I was like, listen, like, I, I understand your frustrations and you can set boundaries and walk away from this if you need to, or you can now learn what it feels like to have a coach and then one day a boss that you have differences with and how you're going to manage that because you're not always going to have a coach or a boss that aligns 100%. And so I've taken all of those lessons. And so reframing it from winning and losing to like, here are these lessons, here are these life things that I'm going to learn is so impactful for our students. And it's fun to see that process. Yeah. And I really like Caroline, what you were saying about um, looking at um, self-improvement and, and the idea that I, I'm looking to, I'm striving to uh, get better at certain aspects of what I'm doing. And it's one of the things that I think all of us as both in the classroom and as um, college and high school and, and youth coaches, um, we all can do better. At least I know I can do better at, which is taking the concept that runners and swimmers have access to all the time, PR, my, you know, my personal record, my personal best, and trying to find lots of other areas where kids can be measuring their success. So, um, uh, you know, one of the, I used to post something very simple, which is like the, for basketball, the figure eight dribble. So how many full figure eight dribbles can you do um, successfully in a one minute block? And so we, every two weeks, we would, um, we would, we would, uh, sharp that and so they were able to take a very simple um it's one drill but whether it's um you know i'm trying to think of what the equivalent might be but if it's full field cradling sprint um uh with the ball and the cross well here's our starting point when we get in and then through some over time with some improvement with some form running drills and with some you know maybe stick positioning changes that allow for uh increase in speed you know you're looking at now halfway through the season where is that full full field sprint what is that looking like um strength training too so you know the more ways that we can measure um and look at our pr in these other sports and it takes some creativity i think for for coaches to think of other ways because it's a huge motivating factor too um because sometimes you know, as an athlete or as a student, growth isn't always um, clear. You know, we yeah. might see the coach, but the players, like, I don't really think I'm any better or I'm still not getting playing time or, uh, you know, we're still losing. And so they don't see the growth, but here are some other ways that we can really um, measure it also, because going back to uh, the leader's job of setting a vision and goals for um, and helping the athletes do so I, I think um it's a really valuable skill yeah it's the it's the proficiency versus growth concept and i think we are so caught up in proficiency and being the first being number one of what whatever task it is um it's it's crazy to see it it impacts every part of everyone's life um but this, the skills that you need are shown in those growth moments in that, were you able to pick yourself up? Were you able to get back up and go back at it? Were you able to grow two years on your math score, whatever it may be? Um, those are the skills that 
Strive teaches and that we work with. And, and I love, this is, I believe this is your quote, but we recently used it when we were talking about um, like what Strive does. Everyone remembers learning how to ride a bike or read a book, but when were you taught how to listen or how to communicate? And, and I think that sums up what Strive is trying to do, what Sports Challenge Leadership Academy was doing. Like, it's just, it's all about those, I don't like to use the term soft skills, but it's about those skills that students need in order to be successful, but they are intangible. And so it's, it's interesting to be in a field where you're, you're measuring intangible growth, but I love it. <laughs> no, as do I. <laughs> well, before we close up, is there anything else you would like to share with our audience um, just about the history of Strive or beyond that? Um, I, I think just from my vantage points, I, I feel um, you know, going back to surrounding yourself with the right people, uh, I continue to be so impressed with the ways in which Strive surrounds um, uh, themselves and draws in the right people and um, and to continue, you know, this legacy that Kevin and Kevin um, and I, you know, were are so grateful that it's still continuing. Um, I think the, uh, and the reality is, I think Strive is needed as much as ever, um, if not more so. And so keep doing what you're doing. And, um, you know, I remember the first time I met Belle, like when I heard that she was hired, it, I was, uh, my smile could not have been, you know, broader. Cause I remember I was down, she was a, I think a junior in college and I watched her play a basketball game. And I, I mean, she was this floor general. She was a point guard for the University of Richmond. Um, and she was one of the country's assist leaders at the time and watching her at five foot two or three or whatever Belle is now, maybe she's grown. Um, but she, <laughs> she was just this rock star and she, the way she directed traffic, she kind of modeled. And one of the reasons we hired her immediately was she was even on the court, you could just see her modeling all the different aspects of leadership that we espoused. So you could see her connecting with her teammates, being very positive yet communicating directly and, and balancing this, um, this positive exuberant energy with intense competitive, um, you know, very goal oriented, like we, we are gonna compete with the goal of winning, but this process working together is how, is how we're gonna achieve this. Um, it was just so evident from the second I saw her um, on the court. And then of course, the way she carried herself out of the, uh, off the court as a model of character and integrity. And those are all the things that we all want in a leader. So I'm really uh, grateful to see her in the position because Andrea was such a, a great inspiration for all of us and um, she had big shoes to fill. Yeah, yeah, no, we're, we're grateful to have Belle and we're grateful to be standing on the shoulders of, of all of the past leaders, including yourself. So I'm very grateful that I had the opportunity to talk with you today. Thank you, Caroline. No problem. And thank you to everyone who tuned in today. How You Lead Matters podcast comes out on a monthly basis. And if you're looking for more content, follow us on all socials at How You Lead Matters or email us today to schedule your own Strive workshop. Talk to you next month.